I hope that all of you have plans to have a Merry Christmas, and I know that a lot of us this week are going to be traveling and doing all the things that we do around the holidays, uh, probably going to eat a lot of food, give a lot of gifts, uh, maybe even see some people that we haven't seen in about a year. And I love Christmas. I love Christmas for all of those reasons. Uh, this morning, uh, whenever I woke up, you know, this time of year, you don't have to wake up too early and it's still dark outside. And I wake up and I, I want to turn on my Christmas tree. Any, anybody else do that? Wake up early and uh, turn on all your Christmas lights. And uh, I just love doing that, sipping coffee and just, uh, and just enjoying those lights and just this time of year and all that we get to celebrate. There's a lot of things, obviously, that we do to celebrate around Christmas, uh, many of the things that I just mentioned. But as you and I both know, Christmas is all about Jesus. Uh, he is to be uh, the focus of everything that we do. It's easy to lose sight of that. Uh, Christmas has become very commercialized, and uh, it becomes all about gifts and all about family and all about holiday routines, uh, but we can never lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the reason that we do all that we do. In fact, if you think about lights and gifts, and I mean, all of it was done to point back to Christ. Well, today, uh, I want to talk about why we celebrate Christmas, except I want to I look at it in a little more in-depth of a, a fashion. We're going to look at a dream that Joseph had. Uh, Joseph was the father of Jesus, uh, though not biological father, uh, father by adoption. Uh, Joseph had a dream, and the angel uh, in the dream, or we assume it was a bit an angel, maybe it was the Lord that spoke to him directly, in this dream said something as he was struggling over whether or not he should, uh, he should, he should go ahead and marry his wife that he was betrothed to, Mary. Um, uh, God spoke to him and said some significant things about Jesus. Today is, might feel a little, I don't know, a little more teachy than it is preachy. Uh, that's not a promise because I might yell and scream like I always do if, if I feel like it. But I want to share some things with you. And um, if you look on the back of your bulletin, and I've actually shared a lot of this information with you in the past, I want to share with you some information. I'm going to try to simplify it as best as I can. I'm going to share with you three main biblical truths about Jesus that really are the core of why we celebrate Christmas. And then I'm going to share with you Six heresies, ancient heresies, and uh, like I say in the bulletin, not some not so ancient heresies that really kind of take away from some things that we believe about Jesus. I want to tell you from the outset today that these three facts that I'm going to share with you about Jesus are easy to say um, and easy, I guess you would say, to intellectually receive. But they, they just create angst in us as we try to reconcile some of, some of these simple, basic truths. And it's so easy to get off track. It's so, uh, it's so easy to misunderstand and misrepresent. And so I hope that you'll pray with me this morning um, as I uh, pray for me this morning um, as, uh, as I present these facts to you from Matthew chapter 21. If you have your copy of God's Word, uh, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter twenty, uh, Matthew chapter one, and uh, we're going to start reading uh, in verse eighteen uh, through verse uh, through verse twenty-five. So stand with me, if you will. We're going to read these verses together. And again, this is a dream in which God spoke to Joseph and proclaimed some 
just some incredible things about Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, today I just pray, uh, Lord, that you would help me to proclaim your truth without any mixture of error. Uh, God, I know that I'm not infallible in my speech, but God, we know that your word proclaims to us absolute, inerrant, and infallible truth. I pray, God, today that you would help me be a vessel of that truth, uh, help me to rightly divide the word of truth, and to present your personhood and your nature with as much accuracy as I am humanly capable. And Father, I pray, Lord, today that as I do so, I pray that you would do something that only you can do. I pray that you would save. Lord, that's why you came to this earth, uh, Lord, so that you would save. Lord, just like the testimony of the one that we heard earlier today who was baptized, uh, Lord, you can save. And we pray that you would do that today. Save those that need saving, those that need to hear a word from you today. Lord, speak to them and touch them. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Three facts about Christ. Three indisputable, biblically indisputable facts about Christ that cause us a lot of intellectual angst as we try to assemble them together. The first one being that Jesus was and is Savior. I think that most of you here today probably accept that. You probably uh, take that for granted. You probably accept that as truth. But this is intellectually hard for us to defend when it comes to a watching world who would question us about these things. But the scripture says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, about Jesus, it says that he will save his people from their sins. We believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only one that can do this. And this is quite a proclamation that the Bible makes about a child that is to be born. 
I don't know about you, but as, as a parent, I, would, I want my children to go up and do things and be things and to be accomplished and to, you know, get an education and get good jobs and be godly people. As parents, we have aspirations for our children. I, I don't know of too many parents who genuinely love their children that don't want their children to amount to something. Well, this statement about what the child Jesus is going to be and is going to become is a statement that the Bible makes about no other person that has ever been born. Certainly there are promises in Scripture that a child would be born and would accomplish something great. Certainly we're going to have children that are going to grow up and to, are going to accomplish things great. But there is only one child that the Scripture has ever said that he will save his people from their sins, meaning that he is going to be Savior, that he is going to provide something and do something that is going to be out of the ordinary of any other person that has ever been born. Uh, Luke chapter 1, I'll, I don't have this for the screen, but Luke chapter 1 uh, talks about this as well, that he's going to be great, that he's going to be the son of the Most High, that God's going to give him the throne of David. I, I, I spoke about that last week, and that his kingdom uh, would have no end. And so when we affirm this truth of Scripture, what we're saying about Jesus and what we're celebrating around Christmas time is not just that Jesus is a Savior, but that Jesus is the Savior, that there is no other Savior beside Him. Scripture speaks about this, saying things like, there is no other name uh, under heaven given by which men can be saved. And Jesus Himself even said that no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you talk to your uh, friends and your neighbor and your, your family members who may not know Jesus as Savior and who may not be Christians, this is a fact that sometimes some believers have a problem defending. And we, we, normally, we normally get attacked by saying that we, we, you know, we're kind of claiming that we're better than everyone, that we have more of a knowledge than everyone, and, and that it's not fair that people could only be saved through Jesus and not through some other means. So what about people who have never heard? What about people of different religions? All of those types of arguments. And sometimes those arguments can be hard for us to defend. And sometimes it becomes difficult for us to give the correct answers to people in a way that they can intellectually understand it and grasp it and say, oh, okay, I see it now. And even though it's hard for us to do, we still have to proclaim the uniqueness that is only found in Christ. There has never ever been anybody else that was ever born on the face of the earth that could save people from sin. And this is what we celebrate around Christmas, that only Jesus can save. No one else, nothing else, only Jesus can save. But we are left with the question as to why is that the case? Why is it that Jesus is the only person that can save? What is it about him that is so special? 
What is it about this virgin-born child that we celebrate around Christmas that is pictured in all the manger scenes? And what is it about that child that we would make such a bold proclamation that he is the Savior and that he is the only one that can save? And really two things. First off, we believe that Jesus was and is God. That he was and is God. These statements that are made about Christ. In essence, what this, uh, what this angel reveals to Joseph in a dream. This great mystery. And the more that we dig into this mystery the more it creates for us intellectual problems that become difficult for us to explain. I mean, that's, that's what mysteries are all about. But basically what this Bible verse is saying is that a human child is going to be born, but that human child is God. A human child is going to be born, and not only is that human child God, but that person always has been God. And these are things sometimes that we don't like to talk about because it's difficult for us to explain. But this is what we celebrate around Christmas, that Jesus was and is God. You say, well, where do we get, where do we get that from? Do you know of any other person that the Bible said has been conceived from the Holy Spirit? There's, there's, there's no other person that, that makes this claim. There's no other person that God exalts as being conceived from the Holy Spirit. These are words that speak of Christ's divinity and his virgin conception and his virgin birth, however you want to frame that, virgin conceived, virgin born, I guess you can't have one without the other. Um, but this, this, this virgin conception conceived of the Holy Spirit speaks to the divinity of Christ and the fact that he was God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, uh, we have more explanation, but it only makes the mystery deeper. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, this is an angel speaking to Mary, as the angel has just told her that she's going to have a baby, and she's thinking to herself, and she's saying, well, how can this be? I've never known a man. And so the angel gives her an explanation which just digs the mystery deeper into our minds. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Well, what does that mean? And Anybody have a really, really great explanation for that? Most of us don't. Most of us don't know how to express this in words. Most of us don't know how to give a natural explanation for something that is completely and totally supernatural that God did. Um, by the way, overshadow means to envelop with a cloud. There's other passages in the Bible that talk about the divinity of Christ. I won't go through all of them, but here's several. If you want to snap a shot, uh, a screenshot with your picture, uh, with your uh, take a picture with your phone and look at these later. Um, all of these speak about the divinity of Christ. I love this first one in John chapter 20, verse 28. Thomas worships Jesus, and Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He received worship, and all of these speak about Jesus being God. He had the attributes of God, everything that God the Father is, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is. 
um, all of the powers, uh, attributes of power and attributes of knowledge, all of those characterize Christ as well. He was Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, as you can see, because the virgin conception is a something that is miraculous and supernatural, and it's hard to provide an intellectual explanation, it's hard to it's hard to provide a natural explanation for that. You can see that that would that would cause people some intellectual problems, and so they want to try to explain things. And this is where we get heresies from. Heresies originate from something that we see in Scripture that is unnatural, something that is supernatural, something that God does that is outside of our mental framework. And so what we try to do is, is we try to come up with explanations in order to reconcile how a person could be both God and man at the same time. And here's three of them for you. Here's three ancient heresies about the divinity of Christ, and, and some of them are not so ancient if you wanted to do some study in some of these. Uh, there are some that believe that Jesus became divine at some point in his life. That at some point in his life, some would say his baptism, some would say his resurrection, that he became divine. Well, that's, a, that's an ancient heresy called adoptionism. Others would say that the Father created the Son before the creation of the world. That Jesus was God before he was born, but only because God the Father created him and made him God at some time before the creation of the world. That is an ancient heresy called Arianism. It is alive and well today through some so-called Christian groups. Uh, as well as subordinationism, says that the son is, he's God, but he's, he's kind of like a God. You know, some people want to interpret John chapter 1 in that way. In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. He wasn't, he wasn't really totally, fully God. It's like he was, he was more than us and more than the angels, but not quite as much as God the Father. These are, these are ancient heresies that originated in the early centuries of Christianity that we still see are alive today. And they are in the effort to try to give um, an intellectual or natural explanation. Or I guess these aren't really natural explanations, but, a, but an attempt intellectually to try to reconcile how Jesus is both God and as both man. By the way, uh, one of the reasons that we celebrate Christmas, and perhaps one of the main reasons that we celebrate Christmas, is not just the fact that Jesus was God, but Jesus was and is man. Now, I find that whenever we start delving into these waters, that it's almost like you have to be so careful what you say. Because if you're, if you're not careful, then you can slip into one of these ancient heresies, and I'll talk about some of those in just a minute. But th think about what the Bible says here about Jesus, whom we just proclaimed as God. The Scripture also proclaims that Jesus was man. Jesus had a mother. Jesus was uh, was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' mother was with child. Mary bore Jesus naturally. 
He was a human being. He was a man. He had a body. And by the way, in this, the mystery just gets deeper as to how to explain all this. But do you know, Jesus, he still is a man. You're like, what? Yes, Jesus still has a body. So this body that Jesus was born with, that he lived in for 33 years, that he died on a cross and was buried, you know, he was bodily raised from the dead. That's what, I know it's not Easter, but that's what we celebrate at Easter. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of the God-man. At Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of the God-man. He took his body with him. You see, Jesus' bones, Jesus' flesh were not left here on the earth. That's what kept everybody scrambling. And the Pharisees and the Romans, where is the body of Jesus? He gone. He was raised from the dead and he ascended to the Father. We have that recorded in Acts chapter 1. You remember the disciples, they got together and they, 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 they talked to Jesus and Jesus ate a little piece of food and, and he even told, you know, doubting Thomas, he said, hey, put your hand in my side right here, feel it's me. It was Jesus. He was with them. And when he ascended, when that Jesus who was raised from the dead, when he ascended, they sat there and they watched him ascend into heaven. This is also the hope that you and I have. That one day we're going to be bodily resurrected from the grave. This is the very foundation of our faith. So back to Christmas, uh, Jesus, what we celebrate here, what we're celebrating here, and this is so important. This is so important. God became man. He became man. Now think about that for a moment. God has always been God. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, has always been God. But he hasn't always been man. There was a point in time in history that is recorded in Scripture where God became man and he walked among us. This is, what, this is really the central truth that we celebrate at Christmas. That God loved us so much, that he identified with us so much, that he came and was born of a virgin. He lived as a man for 33 years on this earth. He ate, he drank, he fellowshiped. He did all of the things. He, lit, he breathed air. He did all of the things that you and I do, that he humbled himself. And Philippians talked about this, that he humbled himself and that he identified with us and he became one of us. One famous theologian say God, uh, says God took to himself humanity and became God-man. And in this way, Jesus is really... A better human than you and I are. I mean, think about it. When he lived, he was the perfect human. He had no sin. And when we say that we want to be like Jesus, 
what are we saying? Are we saying that we want to be all-powerful and all-knowing like him? No, that's not what we're saying. When we say we want to be like Jesus, are we saying that we want God's attributes of power? No, what we're saying when we say we want to be like Jesus is we're, we're saying that we want to live the life that he lived. We want his godliness. We want to live on this earth the way that he did. We want to love others the way that he loved others. We want to have the same character that he had. This is what we mean when we, want to, we say we want to be like Jesus. And unless Jesus is fully God and fully man, he cannot be the only Savior. I want to point your attention, by the way, to um, a, the, the Council of Chalcedon in 451 A.D. You can go and you can look this up. In 451 A.D., there were a group of Christians from all over the known world. By the way, sorry, I skipped a slide. Uh, some, here, let me back up right quick. Here's some ancient heresies about the humanity of Christ. I won't go into these because they can get very complicated, and there's actually more of these, but there are some ancient heresies that are related to, um, that are related to the humanity of Christ. People saying, he, okay, he, was, he, wasn't, he, he, he wasn't really man. He just kind of looked like man, or he, was, uh, he only appeared to be human, or uh, perhaps he, uh, he, he was human but not totally. He didn't have a human will, um, or there were two different persons in Christ. These are heretical teachings that are an attempt to intellectually reconcile the fact that Jesus was both God and man. Okay, now, the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD, all, a group of Christians from all over the known world, they came together and they looked at all of the ancient heresies that I have mentioned to you today, some of which are still alive and well, and many other heretical teachings related to Christ, and they all got together and they said, based upon the teaching of Scripture, we believe that Christ is fully and truly man, that he is fully and truly God at the same time in a single person, and this forms the basis of what all conservative, Bible-believing, evangelicals believe to this day about who Jesus is. This is what the Bible tells us who our Savior is. And so when we think about this, if this is not true, if what the Bible says about the humanity and the divinity of Christ, if, if, if either one of those is not true, then Jesus can't be our Savior. He, he can't save and see, this is, what we, this is what we see where we started in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. This is, this is where we started. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he's going to do something. He's going to save. And he's going to save from sin. He can't do that unless he is both fully God and both fully man. Only God can save, and only man can pay the price and the penalty. Only the God-man could do what Jesus has done. Now listen, when it comes to being saved, people think about all types of stuff. I remember one of my children, whenever they were young, a lot younger than they are now, we said, hey, how did you, tell me about when you got saved. And they told the story about how they got saved from being hit by a basketball. 
or we're playing basketball and it was flying at me and somebody stepped in front and they knocked it away and, and I, got, I got saved from getting, getting hit by that basketball. And as adults, sometimes we say the same thing. Well, well you know, I, I need Jesus to save me from psychophysical illness or I need Jesus to save me from a bad marriage. Maybe Kelly prays that all the time. I don't know. Or I need Jesus to save me from a financial disaster. I need Jesus to save me from a bad situation that I have in life. And we pray for Jesus to save us from, from all of these things. And now don't get me wrong. He's capable of doing that. He, he's capable of saving us from, from all of those things. But the truth is, other people are capable of saving us from a lot of those things. You see, if I'm drowning, I don't know that I need to call on Jesus. I could just ask you to, I could just ask you to throw me a life raft. If I'm dangling from a, from a cliff, I could call on Jesus to save me. Lord, save me from falling off this cliff and dying. But if you're nearby, I could just, I could just call you and say, hey, come give me a hand. If I'm facing all types of manner of thirst, fire, or all sorts of bodily harm, or if I'm caught in a storm, or if I'm starving to death, I suppose there's lots of people that can save me. If I'm facing financial ruin, I could ask all of you to pitch together and save me from being turned over to a collection agency. But there's something that nobody else can save from, and that's sin. Only the God-man, only Jesus who is both fully God and fully man at the same time in one person, it may be hard for us intellectually to wrap our minds around that, and it may be easy for us to tiptoe into heresy whenever we even try to proclaim it as a simple truth. But the fact of the matter is, he is the only one that can save from the penalty and the wrath of God. And that's, that's why we celebrate Christmas. Because the truth is, all of the things that we face in this life that we think that we need rescue are not nearly as dangerous as the wrath of God that we face. And God went through great lengths to provide you with salvation. Think about everything that God has done. Think about all of the things that are just written in the Christmas story, what we call the Christmas story found in Matthew and found in Luke and in other places. Think about virgins conceiving children and angels making announcements and shepherds, you know, uh, hearing angels sing and, and magi, wise men coming and, and presenting gifts and evil kings killing all the children in a town who were two years and younger and Jesus' parents running and fleeing to Egypt. And I mean, all of the things that we see that God did, God has gone through great lengths not just to save you from the things of this world, but to save you from sin. And when that happens in your life, it is as unique as the Christ that provided it for you. And it can only be found in Him. It's not something that you can do for yourself. You must call upon Jesus and be saved. He is the only one that can save. Maybe you can think of some people in your life that you know need saving. Not just saving out of a bad circumstance, but they need, they need a new life. They need a new heart. 
They need their soul to be saved. Maybe you can think of some people in your life that need that right now. Maybe you need to pray for them. Maybe you need that right now. Maybe this, this testimony that we heard earlier from the one that was baptized, where she said she grew up in church and she believed all the right things, but, she, but it, had never been, it had never really been true in her life. She had never been truly saved. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's your story. Maybe you'd say, I've also grown up in church and I believed all the right things and I've said all the right things. But Jesus has never truly been conceived in your heart. And maybe you need to be born again. Maybe, maybe it's time to stop celebrating the coming of Christ 2,000 years ago and start praying for the coming of Christ in your heart right now. The Bible says that you can be, pray, you, you can be saved this very instant, if you'll just pray to him and you'll just ask him. So let's bow our heads and let's close.